Aloha Maui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. Jason Burkhardt. And Brian Thomas. Welcome to the Solar Coaster. Only a couple of shows left uh, within the year. Within 2019, a lot going on in renewable energies around the world. I mean, it feels like it's just at this fevered pitch of activity. Uh, we got all kinds of great stuff in this show today, episode number 136. We are going to get a follow-up call-in with Carol Ann Barrows uh, regarding uh, community involvement and deciding about where we put all these solar systems. Uh, what do you guys say? Yeah, oh, I'm looking forward to it, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, indeed, as Jay said, because we, we kind of didn't have enough time to... Uh, have her elaborate too much, but yeah, this will be our second chance. You know, and I, ironically, I don't know if it's ironic or not, but certainly a lot of wild stuff happening in the world. Elon Musk, and we're going to get into this news and events, is talking about taking care of the entire country's solar needs in Arizona. Bill Gates is saying, "No, you're a you're a dodo. You got to do it with nuclear." <laughs> How do you say nuclear? <laughs> nuclear. Uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on out there, but it does have to do with you know where do we put all these renewables? How do we move towards a, a renewable energy future? Uh, so very exciting stuff. Do you want to? to uh, jump right over to housekeeping, Jay. What do you say? Yeah, let's get the show moving. All right, folks. This is The Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy-themed talk show right here in lovely Maui County. can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. on Kauai, 1110 a.m. Also some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry www.solar-coaster.com is where you can get all our previous shows. So if you're not familiar with what we're talking about right now, it's kind of part two of, uh, of a larger conversation uh, where we're going to put all our, our energy generation in, in the islands. Uh, go to the website and look up our most recent podcasts. Everything's all up there. Uh, you can also catch us streaming uh listen live if you're out of the broadcast area and of course get on our mailing list or submit questions uh it is a call-in show 242-7800 is the call-in line again that's 242-7800 uh but if you want to send us a question and you don't want to call uh certainly go to the website and fill out the little the little mailing list uh, slash question form at the bottom of every single page uh podcasts itunes stitcher tune in also all carry the show solar coaster you can say things like hey alexa play me the pod solar coaster podcast and we'll do it and i hope that i screwed that up enough that it didn't automatically cut us off <laughs> okay <laughs> and, and i heart uh tune in a few others oh, they all they've all picked it up so you can pretty much get us everywhere all right and we got some great sponsors that have kept solar coaster on the tracks fairwinds wealth management thank you mr brian thomas you're welcome uh we're gonna hear more from him shortly uh sundrum solar uh and pantech design uh, we also have uh, a new sponsor which i'm gonna announce right now starting next week very excited about filling out our local sponsorship section with enduro shield which is a really cool company and not just enduro shield but also perfectly clear glass which is uh with gary dolberg gary dolberg is a really interesting character we got to meet him we had him on the show a couple months ago and we learned all about this technology that creates all these benefits for uh not only like glass resurfacing but also putting on solar panels which is a new area for this and uh very exciting tech i think it's so neat that we have this these different types of technologies that are all leading us to this kind of uh you know this future Future of where we're going to be able to do better with renewable energies. We're going to do some cool stuff with this, with Enduro Shield and with Perfectly Clear. Uh, we've been talking about doing a test and bringing it out into my home and actually coating some panels and having a non-coated and a coated panel side by side. We'll put that up on YouTube. Have a lot of fun with it, but I want to welcome the Enduro Shield Perfectly Clear family to, uh, to, to, to the Solar Coaster family. Very cool. Yep. Good stuff, right? All right. Um, and then, of course, um, if you are interested in sponsoring the Solar Coaster, uh, you and if you're a local company, we've probably got about a spot left now. Uh, and in the beginning of the show, there's a section there. If you are a solar installer or a solar panel cleaner or, uh, I don't know, an EV uh, car seller or <laughs> whatever, you may want to come on the show and be a part of this uh, fun stuff that we do. Um, Okie doke. So shall we jump over to news and events? Right away. Um, so this Reuters article that you've been touting at me for, for quite a while, <laughs> I think more than more than a week, um, China's solar exports have hit 58 gigawatt in the first three quarters of 2019. That's, I mean, that's a lot of power. We're going to um, remember uh, one about one gigawatt is, is approximately one um, nuclear power plant. Um, so so 58 nuclear power plants worth of solar Panels, basically, solar. Oh. I, I believe this includes actual cells too. So cells, but solar module exports is what they call it. Um, absolutely huge. It's really, really interesting because of this whole um, tariff and trade war we've we've been um, 
having with with China, uh, U.S actually exports there's only um, 0.2% of that total 58 gigawatts so where are they all going India through Europe um, Af- Africa is actually picking up some 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 demand now uh, wow, but they're there it's way way more way way more than they expected they, they assumed that they were only going to hit about 35 gigawatt for the year and they already exported 58 and that's only in quarter in Q3 and so. this this to put this in context last year I think it was 2018 we had 108 gigawatts installed globally is that right jay and then so 58 gigawatts exported from china says hey we've got almost 60 percent of that overall capacity exported and none of that's going to the u.s relatively speaking i mean 0.2 percent 34.9 percent of that 58 gigs jay just said is going to europe and that supports that vibe we felt out there in the spring at intersolar in munich of a real renaissance right jay Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um there's so many people there and they're all looking at so i mean with with Germany's backing off of the nuclear, uh, putting out a lot, of, a lot of CO2 uh, and carbon emissions with with their coal-fired plants. They're heavily, heavily investing in rolling out new solar and wind capacity, and it shows. Wow! Check that out. And it, now I wonder what role that storage is playing concurrent to that occurring. You know, it's like with the ability to store it, it makes it a little bit more feasible to generate it, right? Oh, you mean does that uh, does it one ramp up the other? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting point, right? Well, I, mean, I, th- I think we're still in a place where all batteries that are manufactured on any line anywhere are kind of already sold mm. <laughs> as, as as they roll out the door. Uh, we're not at, we're not at a place yet where we're we're making enough uh, to even satisfy our demand, but we, we will we will certainly get there. I know that that we've seen that trend where all the new installs as as they're kind of spec spec'd out they're designed that they're seeing we, we used to see like two times the hourly generation rate would be stored and then three and now four seems to kind of be the industry standard and i've seen i've even seen a few projects where it's five times so you could actually store five hours worth of solar energy off offline and then use it at night or if a cloud comes by or whatever else uh which which makes them much more firm firm power kind of installations uh, but it's, it's still difficult to get that much storage in one place. Okay, well, why is this relevant? Because we're putting in more and more renewables all around the world as we speak, not only here in Hawaii, but other places too. I think we're gonna get a chance to hear a little bit about that. Jay, which one do you wanna hit next? Uh, right away, um, European solar heating. We're, we're still talking about Europe here, uh, but they're actually just starting to get into um, the traditional thermal solar hot water which is which is kind of funny to me i mean we've been we've been doing it in hawaii forever right it's we have a, we have a mandate the new construction are supposed to have uh solar hot water and these are just those panels up on your roof that actually circulate water through them and so it's heated by the sun directly uh but they're just starting to uh to install these across across europe now for for like 26.7 percent hmm increase <laughs> year I, I wonder year. why there would be have that that would not have happened before i mean it's an old technology it works great it's super efficient i mean the big conversation of course is you know a thermal how big a role will thermal play in uh in the in the energy transition i think that's a really interesting question because of course we have uh, michael and thierry of sundrum uh, as a sponsor on the show for over a year now more than that a year and a half or so and you know he's uh the bottom line is taking advantage of all that thermal energy that's up there just changes efficiencies drastically, you know, 4x, 3x multiple, 4x multiple. So in terms of what you can actually create, and we're hearing and seeing this more and more thermal uh, creeping into the conversation. You know, I, I mentioned a company called Nostromo from Israel that recently came out here, and they're uh, looking at thermally storing energy in ice bricks. Super cool technology, mm-hmm, right? So mm-hmm. how relevant, I saw, I saw that right? one as well. Amazing. Um, but, but the reason, to answer your question, the reason why it wouldn't have picked off um they have cheap fuel prices <laughs> actually i remember that it makes it really really difficult to pay off yeah, and, and so it's it's only public perception that um emissions are part of the part of the issue no that have started always, that has spurred this this hot water always comes down to the dollar or the euro uh or wherever else the um i do remember hearing about thermal geothermal being really uh actually at your home uh, a couple years ago jay mm-hmm. one of your guests over said that geothermal was really typical for residences all throughout europe uh, they were in Switzerland, mm-hmm. I think. This Geothermal. Yeah, so you run a, like a you'd run a, a pipe or a, some form of a you know a system through the the earth, and you'd be able to take advantage of that heat differential. The average house would do that. That's very common. That's what this fellow was saying. Yeah. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's unbelievable, too. I don't know. Some, <laughs> some, some, something to research. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jay, where are we at now? Uh, do we want to talk about Fukushima? Oh, I think Since that's where we keep we keep mentioning nuclear <laughs> these, yeah. these days. Um, it's actually really interesting now um, that, that Japan is finally turning around and really looking at solar and wind as as viable alternatives. Uh, back at back in uh, when the Fukushima event happened, um, Japan basically shut down all their nuclear reactors, and slowly they've been coming back online. Uh, only nine of of fifty some odd reactors have actually started. Twenty four are being decommissioned, and there's twenty one that are still. We don't know that they may come back. They may not. Mm. Um, but that basically put Japan in the in the, the third largest importer coal importer slot uh, because they they don't have any local source and yet they burn a ton of it. Um, so policy takes time to change, but they're now starting, they've instituted uh, some feed-in tariffs. It's actually managed by the uh, the Ministry of Economy and Trade. So they, um, they set a number, basically. So you, there's no individual negotiations between a utility and the, the folks they that are... this is um, the price, come in and... Yeah, build this it. is the price. This is how the money, the math works. If you want to do this business, then go and do it. And a lot of people are starting to install. And because uh, Fukushima has um, some low-level but irradiated land that you can you can certainly walk through but you wouldn't want to live there um or or grow food on or whatever they they, they had they're now installing large amounts of solar in, all, all through the prefecture and this article is here really is forbes.com and uh, you can take a look yep. at this there are some pictures of this it says fukushima reborn mm -hmm. as japan's wind and solar hub uh that is something very special uh you know the feed-in tariff just for a listener's sake is a um effectively a price that's set by the utility where you can you can put in a solar system and then you get paid on a per kilowatt hour basis for that that's what feed-in tariff it basically means in this context um yeah very cool stuff i think that uh i i would like to go there actually so i would like to go there the feed-in tariff means that the risk falls on the on the developer that develops that renewable energy project? Well, a fit, right? We, the feed-in tariff is, uh, they've, in, they've been used in Maui for, the feed-in tariff program is basically done, the original solar farm feed-in tariff program. But you would have, they'd set up a, a rate, and it's like 20 cents a kilowatt hour or whatever it was back then. Yeah. And then the developer would come in and lease the land and, and put up the, uh, put the, cap, the capital into developing the system, right. take the tax credits, and then they would have a, you know, a 20-year stream of income. Typically, it was like a term of that price per kilowatt hour. Sure, sure. Yeah. Interesting. And the prices are locked in. And so you, I mean, you're pretty much guaranteed to make that much money, assuming that you can keep your, your solar farm up and running. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, e uh, easier said than done in some circumstances in Maui with cane grass. <laughs> so, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about <laughs> Fukushima. That's a different story. But uh, yeah, it, wouldn't it be interesting to go check that out and see what uh, what that looks like. It's kind of a, an amazing kind of juxtaposition, right? The the, the land and the, the, the nuclear power plant that is kind of infamous and then solar and wind kind of all throughout the landscape. That would be really uh, something special to see. And then when talked about the coal bringing in third behind India and China, as a per capita though, they've oh. got to be way above just because the populations right. of India and China are so much larger. Yeah, I mean, we have like a like just under a billion in India, just over a billion in China, and you have like 120 million in, in Japan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, the per yeah. capita consumption right. of coal is is off the charts. Right, and that's, yeah, that's very, 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 very high energy usage. And we see that, right, Jay? Whenever you start to scale down nuclear, it happened in Germany as well. You see, you start yep. to see emissions go up because you need firm power, and then coal seems to take that place. Yeah, right. Yep. Which is you know, ironically, nuclear is the cleaner. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's producer. a lot. There's a, there's a literally a, a little bit of a, uh, a, a, a a fight going on between or an argument or a discussion going on in Twitter between Bill Gates and Elon Musk right now. Elon Musk is saying, "Hey, we can put in. We're going to learn about this in a second. A whole bunch of panels in Arizona, and then just put in the, the distrib distribution architecture, and then power the entire United States." And Gates is like, "No way!" And and, and Musk is like, "Just do the math, dummy." <laughs> I mean, it's like that kind of language. It's pretty cool. Uh, so, is it nuclear or is it big do, solar? Do we do? We, yeah. Do we want to talk about that right Let's now? Let's just go right into can. it. I'm dying to okay. talk about it. Okay. Um, so, so that's fine. Uh, originally, I've seen that little graphic that Musk is circulating for years. He, he drew that up ages ago. So this is how much solar it takes to uh, power the energy need of the entire United States. And it's a little tiny blue square in like New Mexico or something. I mean, obviously you can see yeah. it on a map, but it is deceptively small, right? Um, so 
it's a hundred. What is it? A hundred miles by hundred miles uh, square. I think is. I think is. I think is the number. Um, and and 10, that doesn't sound like miles, a lot. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot. But if you actually go back and look, at it, it's basically the the all the solar that we have produced as a society actually can only cover like ten miles square. So all the solar panels you see all over the place. We really haven't manufactured that many globally. Huh. Which is which is which is crazy. We are ramping now. It's going to be much more, uh, just like that 58 gigawatt number that I just quoted from from coming out of China. Um, we are we are certainly ramping, but we have we, we have never produced that many panels <laughs> anywhere. Right. So, yeah. And then. But but go go ahead, yeah. Jay. No, well, so this, this is my thing. So I, this morning I was going through and was trying to figure out precisely how dangerous nuclear really is. And there's a lovely list of basically they, they call them incidents but i would say accidents um 29 nuclear accidents all the way back to 1957 uh, including everything from chernobyl to the initial research facilities nuclear submarines and even radiotherapy accidents at hospitals where they overdosed someone um all included in this list so the entire list of of nuclear related problems that mm -hmm. we've created and deaths that we've 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 caused um so there's only been 52 in the last 30 years, um, because Chernobyl is, is 33 years back now. Uh, but even if we want to include Chernobyl, um, that Chernobyl was just like kind of divisive, right? The Greenpeace came out and said there was about 200 to, to 600,000. Uh, there was one um, unproven uh, Russian publication that says it was 90, uh, 980,000. Uh, but let's use that worst case number. What? people affected um deaths caused by the chernobyl accident which i think is is really just yeah it was really that but that's it it was completely unproven um there's just an absurdly high number no one was able to, to to verify it at all but for the sake of argument let's use that worst case number okay so that comes out to 54,722 people but before per you go, year before you go there i know where you're going with this but what is the yeah. actual number the, the, like people what is the died? actual number you... we don't know that's the thing it's disputed Okay. And okay. so I'm just, I just found the highest number I possibly could, and that was this this Russian publication that says it's almost a million people over the 18 year span. Okay. Um, but even let, let's let's say it's that. So it it works out to 54,722 people per year over the 18 year period. Um, if we work that out, uh, add in the 52 that we do know of that are verified uh, since then, uh, Fukushima actually did not cause any direct radiation deaths, although some, I think six uh, emergency workers died from uh, various um, issues, and they, none of them were proved to be radiation. Um, but if we divide that into over the 33 years, it's 29,850 deaths per year over the past 33 years from any nuclear rated thing. Then I went over to World Health Organization. They have reports all over the place, uh, but the 2010 one was the most recent one I could get. And in 2010, the World Health Organization reports that outdoor air pollution caused 3.2 million deaths. Per year. Per year, per year. And that includes 223,000 from lung cancer alone. So that's 223,000 lung cancer deaths to 29,850 deaths from nuclear. So it's it's an order of magnitude, ten times, right. just caused just caused by pollution. Right, and and and, the, you, and, <laughs> and that number though that you described for Chernobyl is 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 like a is, I don't know a hundred x over what I've ever heard before. Right. That's that's using the worst case numbers. Right, so right. The, the, the real the real comparison is probably much much worse, <laughs> much much better. So you get um, so you, but nu nuclear nuclear and this is still we're talking about really really old nuclear technology. Chernobyl Chernobyl was an old um, old reactor already 60s designs right, um, and 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 our technology has moved past that. We've we've we talked about SMRs. We've talked about the thorium reactors. We've talked about liquid salt. Um, all these past shows. We've really learned that that nuclear can be managed safely. It's the issue that it has this unbelievably bad perception problem. Again, our our call-in number is two four two seven eight hundred. If anybody wants to come in and call in and talk about this, we'd certainly love to hear other points of view. Two four two seven eight hundred. And and you know our technology has been used to build nuclear outside of the U.S. and we haven't built a plant in like 30 years or so, right? But mm -hmm. it's our, mm -hmm. it's United States technology that's 
France is a huge user of electricity. Like Westinghouse and GE originally, huge. and then it's out being, yeah, France has got like some massive percentage of their energy coming from nuclear. And yeah, they're successfully. extremely proud of it when they plug in their electric vehicles. So mm. this, is, this is the greenest car you're going to be in. Mm. Mm. I, I, I mean, it is, you know, and, and Jay, you've given, you've given the facts, and those are the facts, but the facts don't necessarily diminish the hysteria that often surrounds it. So that's yeah. the challenge is to get out the facts. What, and, I, and what I find interesting, Brian, is that you have these two, I mean, we, you know, we, we've been having this debate for maybe about a year now, on, even on the show, because we were at Eater in the south of France, which is the Fusion Project. Yeah. By the way, we've got a couple of great shows scheduled with some of those physicists coming up in the next uh, month, probably. Uh, Stephen Ligo is one of the head physicists at Eater, and that with some of our footage and our actual audio from inside the reactor, that's we're going to do a show yep. on that, which that's, is amazing. That is amazing. Uh, and But, but you know, so we've been kind of, you know, uh, neck deep in, in all of this, and of course, we had, like Jay mentioned, the SMR guys uh, from Canada uh, on. and But now we're seeing Elon Musk and, and Bill Gates saying there are two different approaches. They, they believe wholeheartedly. These are two really smart guys. Yeah. We all tend to look for that old wise man. It's very hard to find the old wise men. These aren't, you know, the, <laughs> they don't have gray beards like Gandalf or anything. But I mean, they are both, you know, very respected, brilliant leaders in technology. And they're saying two different things. I find that amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, it's it's and, cool when billionaires square off. You yeah, know? <laughs> not, not just because they're rich. But I mean, yeah. The, but Bill Gates basically says solar and energy efficiency are cute, in quotes, but not the answer. And then Elon Musk says, in quotes, he's definitely wrong. <laughs> Solar power is a gigawatt per square kilometer. All you need is 100 by 100 mile patch, which Jay just said, in a deserted corner of Arizona, Texas or Utah or anywhere, to more than power the entire USA. This analysis goes through the calcs, and they, he has a link there of, of the actual calculations. So you can check it out. So this is on, was that Forbes, Jay, that article? Yep. Yeah, it's pretty much everywhere. Popular Mechanics has picked it up. Um, PV Magazine picked it up. Forbes picked it up. I mean, it's 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 the battle of of the week. <laughs> and and uh, what you talked about, Jay, is important too. The capacity to make the cells. It's a moot point if you can't make the cells, right? And so, to the degree right. that to the degree that Elon says would offer. So and and of course, realize both sides have vested interest. I know Bill Gates has a uh, some SMR. Uh, nuclear Terra, Terra Power, and right. it's, it, it's not actually SMR. It's a, you know traditional scale okay, okay. nuclear power that he was working on with China. Some of the tariffs and some of the relationship between China and the U.S. actually got in the way of him deploying some of those systems this year or last year. Yeah, and of course the Tesla purchase of Solar City. So like they're both talking their book, you know. Right. So, right. but but let the facts present themselves. You well, know. Well, what encourages me is that there must be both be strong arguments. It's not like one is completely clearly wrong. If you have these two guys that are used to, you know, steering this type of level of, of thing, and they're, they're both saying, yeah, this is possible on these two levels. 500 gigawatts would be the size of the system to power the United States. The country's annual electricity consumption rate, if anyone was wondering, is 400, was 425 gigawatts in 2013. There you go. So if the three of us get together and challenge those two and say, what metrics can we sort of hash out to figure out which of these two is going to, let's just say they're mutually exclusive, right? Mm -hmm. What 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 would be the metrics that we would look at? Would it be how would we compare those? Two? Yeah, like dollars, cost of investment, or or payback time, or I mean, this well, of course given's the ability. It's a given that um, you've got the capacity to manufacture the solar cells, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know. We'd have to, we're going to have to uh, roll over to our commercials in a minute here, but uh, I can say that I think that um, you know the well. I don't know. It, it, it'd be total cost of ownership, right? And levelized it, cost of energy yeah. uh, would be you know one thing, but also the overall GHG. Uh, I I think it has to do with rate and rapidity of being able to deploy and put this to service. That was, because, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it has to do with the IPCC, International Prevention of Climate Change, uh, findings uh, of giving us about a twelve year window before we're over the edge. Yeah. So I would say the rapidity of you know how, how quickly we can get this thing up, like Jay was just saying, is probably the one of the main the is the main metric. Then you've got to you've got to affix the cost of a CO two generation, right? Yeah, and, and then and that's the that's going to be the red herring right there. CO two gen. Oh, you mean like in the manufacturer? It's going to be subjective. So either side is going to. Well, we have to go through that analysis, yeah. obviously, <laughs> obviously, before we can sleep again. <laughs> so, all right, let's jump over to our commercial break. We're going to come right back with Carol Ann Barrows. We're going to get to follow up on our conversation about community solar here in our community. Cool. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. 
unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. All right, those are our wonderful sponsors. Thank you to, so much to uh, to Pantech Design and Sundrum Solar for keeping the solar coaster on the tracks. We got a couple of new national sponsors in the wings, ready to be announced shortly. Uh, that'll hopefully fuel the solar coaster itself uh, throughout and its Brian. travels. And Brian too. Yes, here he is, Brian Thomas. Uh, hey, Brian, if people want to get in touch with you and take you up on that, uh, I think it was a seventy-five dollar gift certificate for uh, for a restaurant. You know, and what, how can they reach you? Yeah, that was our. Uh your challenge to me is that if I can't improve dramatically on what they're doing, I show them a different risk management process and how it's done. I'll buy them a gift certificate at their favorite restaurant for up to $75. Check that out. Okay. And, and uh, 808-873-3247. That's Brian Thomas. Give him a call. Very cool webinar. I loved it. I learned a lot. Uh, we are here with Caroline Bowers. Car- Caroline, can you hear us okay? Yeah, it's a little weak, but I can hear you. Great. Well, thank you for calling in. I really uh, am excited to follow up our conversation from last week. It was uh, I thought it was a really good show. Got a lot of good feedback from people all around the community. Uh, uh, excited to hear about the inner workings of that contested case hearing and what's going on. Uh, how are you doing today? Well, I live on Maui. so <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I'm grateful to be alive and grateful to be um, involved in creating a livable future Hmm. and i'm grateful for your show that raises the level of um, knowledge and understanding and hopefully wisdom regarding renewable technology and especially solar so thank you yeah yeah you're you're welcome and thank you too uh you know when we when we uh, finished up with the show i listened to it afterwards and i thought to myself wow that was really an interesting experience to take what it had been you know a um a very formal proceeding over two days at the tech park uh, with a lot of attorneys, with the Public Utilities Commission uh, in their jurisdiction, with you know Hawaiian Electric and their attorneys, and and thirty five of them had either black or charcoal <laughs> gray suits on. I know it's such <laughs> a strange sight in Maui. You can tell them Honolulu. I don't yeah. think I don't think they even have them here. But anyway, yeah, yeah. it was interesting. Uh, yeah, you just it was like a, it was like a fluorescent lights with no windows, right? Right. Yeah. No. Very strange. Uh, <laughs> different from what we're accustomed to. Right? Yeah. So, um, but but I thought it was interesting the show because you know we we kind of had a chance to hear from everyone's perspective and then kind of humanize that whole conversation and take it outside mm-hmm. of the lawyers chucking little quips back and forth. If I may right. be so bold to say, uh, and one of the things that I that really kind of resonated with me personally. Personally, was this notion of, uh, you know, we, we have had the utility on uh, over the last year or so, and there was a discussion about the RFP process, and phase one and phase two were meant to specifically, directly from the leadership uh, of, of Maui Electric anyway. We had, you know, Sharon and Greg and, and Matt and Gina and all in the studio, and they were talking really specifically about community engagement being a priority. That was a key part of that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was written into the RFPs. We saw it. It was right there as a requirement. Now, how that was to be go to go to be implemented is kind of at the crux of this issue here, right? Because the way this is structured, uh, you know, the, uh, the the utility puts out this RFP. It works. It's a very sophisticated process, very well run, actually. Um, it's a you know, it's expensive thing. To even get in, you need to pay ten thousand dollars to even bid, right? Mm-hmm. And that goes to a third party. And and then as they uh, they bid, you know, they are those developers. They're really big companies with a lot of muscle, right? That can handle that kind of thing. Right. Very professional organizations that have you know gigawatts all around the world. Typically, you know, guys like Nextera and guys like Interjax and you know, and they're different scales AES. in their world. AES mm-hmm. and you know, ValueX behind some of those guys and. See all these big companies. And this RFP phase two got 75 plus proposals, right? So this first one, RFP phase one is done. And that's what interjects and uh, the Paihu Solar Project is a part of. Um, But the notion that uh, that, that, that they they would issue the RFP, award 
uh, the winners after an analysis, but a certain breakdown of like you know scoring value, mm -hmm. and then but then the the only way that works is that the companies have to gain land control. They have to go to the rancher owners or whoever, find the land that's in the, the in the zone of those uh, transmission lines, and then they have to control that in order to be able to bid. That's kind of how it works, right? But at that stage of the game, it, the, the process is so mature that any feedback about the location is kind of irrelevant because you can't really, it's hard to move it, right? Yeah, right. So it, it, that occurred to me. That's what my takeaway was after I listened to the show. I was like, oh, well, maybe we should be deciding the location of these places in, the, in advance and land control shouldn't be a dominating feature in how these uh, companies are creating an advantage, right? You know, to be able to, 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 to gain access to, you know, successfully win an RFP and then deploy the solar system. So that was my personal, you know, feeling on that, Carol, and we left the conversation. Like so many um, large land use decisions, the people are left out of it. And the only way we could participate was to... Um, oppose right. and uh that that um it keeps the wisdom of the people in the community from um being sourced and it also creates a lot of um ill will uh and most people don't have the strength or the funds to be able to stand up to you know multinational corporations mm. And we shouldn't have to because this is our home. Allegedly, Miko and Hiko serve the residents. Hmm. But when you look at it, they really serve the inside of their own pockets. And they can't be trusted yeah. to do what's best for us. Well, they're a corporation. Bottom line, bottom line, bottom line, right? And um, so I don't know how to um, require Hiko and Miko and Hawaiian Electric to engage in true community engagement where the people who are living and allegedly benefiting from these projects are engaged from the get-go mm. before the land is chosen, before the um, national or international corporation um, who will generate the electricity is chosen. It's a really then it would, you, you wouldn't have all of this ill will. You'd have a better project. Mm. Um, there wouldn't be any of these delays. So right. how do we, I don't know how we can compel for-profit companies well, to include um, That's you know, what the, the PUC is for, though, I mean, what, isn't what, it? <laughs> what do you think, Brian? Well, yeah, I think as citizens, um, uh, we talked last time about how, and Josh just mentioned today, how they came in, they sort of said that they're going to do this, but then in reality they did this other thing. And, and in Hawaii we see that with these big businesses, and, and I'm a business owner, but at the same time we as citizens need to kind of say, hey, let's, uh, this is what we want as citizens. You know, we, we do need to generate renewable energy. We do need to, we do need, and we expect them to find a low-cost provider of energy, and hopefully it is renewable as it ought to be. Uh, it's like we should expect them to do not just what they say, but do as they're supposed to do. Because they say, I, I've seen it before, they say, okay, we're going to do this, this, this. And then reality comes in and say, no, we picked the spot already. Mm. Mm -hmm. you know? and, so, right. and so like, I think if we're united as citizens to say, look, don't just talk about it, do it. And we hold their feet to the fire, you know? And, and I mean, I'm not a fan. I've, I've seen, uh, I'm, not a, I'm, a, you know, I'm not in the solar business, so I don't have to uh, kowtow to Hawaiian Electric. And we talked about the Jeffrey Ubin letter, and mm -hmm. he's calling for leadership changes at the top. And mm -hmm. this is this is at the top, right? All the frontline people that we deal with as citizens, I mm -hmm. mean, they're they're great. And the people that I deal with at Hawaiian Electric, they're great. But at the top, that's where the leadership needs to change, and not just dismiss the citizens' concerns, because ultimately it makes it cheaper for them to do it right at the start. Exactly. Yeah. We were called detractors by Miko. In oh. legal documents, that's always we language, were called the is, language is always really interesting. Right. Well, to look our at. attorney actually took the person who wrote that document to task during the hearings. I did try We're raters, we're customers, but when we're not treated like customers, I realize we are treated as a resource. Yeah, because Miko and Hiko have their goal is to increase their profits and to grow. Well, and, and that it, is their goal, and we are a resource to mine for their goals. So that's not the best attitude to have when you're choosing where to place large solar installations on a little tiny island in the middle of the Pacific. 
Right, and 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 the PUC can come in too, uh, and and maybe be an arbiter of trying to figure out how to balance these things. And then you know, last time they can require true, we could petition them to require these companies to have true on the ground before RFPs, community engagement to help, so that we can be involved. Right, get the sequence of events uh, uh, proper from the get go. Right, because okay, so I didn't know anything about solar business, nothing, right? And I just stepped through the looking glass and I learned really fast. So I didn't know what a PUC was or a PPA or any of that. And no, most people don't, and they don't want to know about it either, right? right, right. <laughs> so, um, how well, that's can unfortunate. We... That's why we do the show. <laughs> huh? I thought Jay might bring that in. Jay goes, oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> that's why we do the show. <laughs> I've heard that. People never want to know about this stuff, right? But they might go to a community, a small community meeting, you know, mm. regarding where we should put something that is huge and ugly. Jay, what, what say you, Jay? Um, yeah, I, I, I very much see the point that, that when you're so far down the road, uh, when these when these projects are announced, that it's really really difficult to change, and the only the only option you do have is just to stand up and say, "Hey, wait a minute, not 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 there." Um, I, I do have a different kind of question. Is it, do you do you have? Uh, first of all, they, they've they've set it back. If if they set it back further, would that be acceptable? Um, and then and a different question. I'll let you think about this one for a while. We'll ask. Mm-hmm. We'll, I'll ask for the answer at the end of the show. Is would you consider having uh, a nuclear installation on Maui? such a fun question. <laughs> um, so okay. oh. <laughs> um, for the first question is, initially we were, you know, just move it further south a bit, right? Like yeah. over by Wailea 670. That was what we were initially saying, but it all just fell into tears. And, and so we just had to learn more and more and more. And then we had to hire an attorney. And, and I have, um, like I said, stepped through the looking glass. And now what I want if I have the magic wand, is that no more land will be harmed in the process of us figuring out how to generate enough electricity for our needs. So um, there's a lot of roofs on Maui. And, and then in the um, cross-examination, Interjects' attorney said, if there's enough roofs you know, on <laughs> Maui to serve the electrical needs, I said, no, I don't. But has anyone done that evaluation? Yeah, so... Uh, uh, Car- That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, Carol Ann, we were talking mm-hmm. about this earlier, and I did reach out to uh, DBED, D-B-E-D-T. Right, uh-huh. um, And I got to look at what that acronym is. But And I spoke with their, uh, their team today because they did ah. some... Uh, projection mapping that Jay and I saw at the Hawaii Energy Conference of right. Oahu, and it's called the Haven, H-A-V-E-N. Oh, that's a nice and name for acronym. it when you're going to destroy land. Uh, well, <laughs> it's a, okay, 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 I love it. So uh, Haven is a visualization tool, and ah. so what they're able to do is show what 100% uh, renewable energy deployed would look like on the island of Oahu, and With we saw that. Rooftop, roof, rooftop uh, well, well, any, well, other, uh, all different types of filters. Yeah, there are just land. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they would they would have um, a, basically a projector, a three feet or four feet high, and then have a three-dimensional uh, map. Uh, actual physical three-dimensional map of Oahu, and they would project onto that with these really cool little... T- it was very Star Trek-y. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing, right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a good use of big data. It, it is really cool. And they take real... Boys and, and, and their toys. Yeah, and they t- and they yeah, Boys and their toys, exactly. And then, so they, they were very specific. They said, we're not creating any data. All we're doing is taking Miko's uh, numbers and then funneling that through this visualization tool. Yeah. But it's very powerful. And they and at that moment, back in, I guess it was February or March of, eight, of 19, Jay, when we were at the Hawaii Energy Conference, they said, we're almost done with Maui. So I called them today mm-hmm. to try to see if, do you have Maui? And actually they, 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 they were they were checking around talking to the team and it sounds like maybe that is the case. We might be able to see that, by the way. Um, uh, Carol Ann. Where? How? Well, it's not, it's, not, it's not online. I asked for that. It's not published. <laughs> I asked for that. But in any case, there's an opportunity to take, the, take a look at that. I think it, it is very likely we'll see that in, short, in the short order. And when we do, we'll be able to see uh, rooftop, uh, probably utility scale, we'll be able to see the scope of what it'll actually require to get us to 100% renewables here in Maui. That's pretty exciting and direct to the, this issue. Yeah, what's up, uh, <laughs> Brian? <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, you know, it's interesting when you say when you say ruining the land, when mm-hmm. what would you say to someone? Because when I look at a solar field, I'm not in the solar business, but I like doing, th- there's something very cool about pulling solar from the sun for free, 
generating electricity that we will all use, and and it does reduce our our carbon, carbon emission. And we, as a as an island, are bringing in fossil fuels to generate our electricity. And we talked about this uh, about three shows ago. When that doesn't even make fiscal sense, mm. it doesn't make money sense for those places on the mainland to do it. And yeah. we're we're shipping that across the ocean to do it. And so right. to, to me, that is absurd. But Oh, yeah, there's no argument that we've got to figure out how to stop doing that. So what would you say to someone that that would, because so my point is that when I look at a, a field of solar panels, to me, I said, that is awesome. We're deploying technology. It's the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And so I'll take the opposite approach. It doesn't ruin the land. It actually enhances the land. And what would you say to someone that would say that's pretty close-minded to say that we're ruining the land when we're taking that land and we're making it functional and we're generating something that we, you, me, all of us, will use? That's a really fascinating question. So I think in order to solve this really complex um, problem, we have to get out of either-or thinking. And I've um, been trained in improv so with improv, when somebody gives you something, you go, yes, and, instead of either or. So there's not an opposition. So I don't think it's either fossil fuels or these huge, ginormous, you know, 1,000-acre or 200-acre um, solar installation. I don't think it's either or. And I'm not in the solar industry. I'm not a solar scientist. Um, but I want us to consider ways to generate the electricity where we are not ruining our landscape. If, if um, all these renewable energy projects are, you know, built in the next five years, instead of feeling like we are animals, human beings that are connected to this beautiful land, we will have an identity of ourselves as consumers in an sea matters, and it harms the land. It harms the air. It harms the climate to put in these huge solar arrays. It's not a benign act. And maybe it's less harmful to the whole planet than um, fossil fuels, but there's still harm to our island that can't be ignored. So I, um, I'm not closed-minded. I'm extremely open-minded. And I'm curious about how we can meet our needs without harming our, um, our landscapes or our um, farmland, our agricultural land. Yeah. I, there's this, you know there are these windmills now that aren't very tall, and they don't have any blades, and they just, like, they just quiver, and they generate electricity, like put one of those oh, in everybody's right. yard, right? I mean, <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't harm our landscape, harm our agricultural land. That doesn't give us a sense of being in a... Um, you know, so, uh, if I may, so the, the uh, thank you for that. That's a <laughs> yeah. pretty thorough, pretty thorough answer there, and I appreciate it very much. Yep. Uh, you know, one, I've been, I've recently, I've uh, reached out to some Hawaiian elders to try to understand what mm. the perspective might be uh, from uh, from this community. And uh, it was interesting because as a kind of solar guy that's on the solar train, that's just kind of thinking, let's get this thing done. And then also hearing the nuclear conversation going, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> that's Josh's world, right? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, it's, it's, it's kind of like it, it, it's not, I don't usually have the, the point of, I'm not usually in a conversation of, is it the right thing to do? It's usually the let's get it out as soon as possible type of, you know, mm. momentum that's in my world. And uh, but as I sat down with this particular fellow, and I hope to get him on the air one day, I won't mention his name now until he you know, suggests that he'd like to come on. But, um, you know, he basically said, hey, we should take pause and think about how this impacts our community and not just. Uh, and, and the thing that it struck me, it really just blew my mind. He said, we're talking about renewable energy, renewable resources. Right. And this word resource. And actually, Carol, Ann, you echoed this in a conversation today with me resources is it a resource and he discussed it as if it were um you know part of us and our ancestors the land the the wind the sun i guess geothermal wave tidal all of this is part of us as this kind of our our ancestors you know uh, as well and i thought whoa that is an interesting concept i hear no one in this industry talking like that and it would be really interesting to kind of you know bring that into dialogue a bit now that juxtaposed against the notion of how fast we need to move to save our planet is, uh, is another piece of the conversation right uh, but the, the 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 notion of our ancestors and also our children you know what are we doing here you know and I can think about this in a in a 
the financial context, Brian, which is kind of your world, right? When we export money in for, for fossil fuels, we're exporting what's the largest uh, loss of wealth of our community, according to Mayor Arakawa. We had a great show with him about a year and a half ago. Largest loss of wealth in our community is in petrodollars. We spend that money, it goes away, it never comes back, right? The rest of it goes up in smoke. There you go. And that hurts us in a lot of different ways, right? So now if we just replace that system with kilowatt hour dollars and we send all that money away to another place, then that's another impact in our community. It's not actually great, right? It would be better if we could handle more and more of this uh, locally, right? I mean, you're a money man. Maybe we could find ways to finance these systems locally. Is that possible? Well, of, of course. This, I mean, the win, the win systems are financed locally you know there's local investors that own the wind farms right okay i mean they were there's other firms that built it or so but there's a lot of local investors in that stuff too mm. and so so look at let's look at our choices wind solar fossil fuels that's nuclear nuclear, nuclear. <laughs> yeah. and I say yeah. nuclear which is illegal right here. now it's still illegal right you can't put a nuclear system in, no. in hawaii uh, we can't but we can't we can't drive electric cars either wheeling I mean, oh, because wait, wait, because we're moving energy from one spot to another. Energy from one TMK to another. That is such a geeky thing. <laughs> but technically, you'd have to plug your phone in and then use and then pay and pay for that use of that energy to get sure, busted sure. for wheeling with your uh, with your car. And 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 you've got to bring a realistic uh, uh, aspect to it because if you're having trouble putting in solar farms, mm. you're gonna have a little bit more trouble exponentially more so to put in nuclear, sure. or even just to engage in conversation, despite the facts that Jay talked about, right. uh, how it's so much safer and in a pollution sense and everything else. So uh, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's like, so, so, so Caroline, I guess the question is, given that we will consume electricity and let's just say Myoelectric builds it in a place that is agreeable to you, even though you said that you didn't want it because technology is advancing, but how would, what, what do you think is the best way to generate electricity, knowing that we need to do something? Well, I can just tell you what I hope for, because I don't have the technical knowledge to be able to speak about um, how to generate enough electricity. I don't know how um, much certain things generate. I really don't. I don't know what the need is. I don't know what are the holding capacity is for our roofs. I, I don't know any of that. Right. Um, but I, I think we need, to, we need to explore more and not just say, okay, we're going to put in wind farms and we're not going to call them farms, wind insulation and these huge solar insulations. And that seems to be what's happening here. You know? And I, I know there's other ways because I've read little bits, people have talked to me, and I just think we need to open our minds and be curious. Hey, Carol and, and there's no rush either. There's no hurry. What, we don't need to hurry. We have time. Oh, well, I think the, the, the time issue is a debate. I mean, in terms of the policy, there's time within that policy right. to reach certain milestones. It's 25 years. Well, yeah, but there are milestones within that policy itself that require us to hit certain percentages every five or ten years. Those, right? are, the state, so. yeah. th those are the state of Hawaii renewable. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, th those are. And MECO... In their it's, defense. it's meant to keep us on track so that mm -hmm. we we don't immediately in the last year have to build a whole bunch of stuff and simply can't because it's right just impossible but then there's another timeline which <laughs> is the, which is what's happening with the the earth and what's our responsibility as a community that we're the first state to have a 100 percent rps it, it, what if we don't succeed in that will that you know affect the way other states uh, will go after this goal i mean we're, we're setting precedent here but one thing i do want to bring up carolyn because I, th I know you had you, you had expressed interest in this hawaii public radio on november uh 25th 2019 has uh, an article it's online right now online map identifies contaminated land with potential for renewable uh. energy development. Uh, and you can check that out at hawaiipublicradio.org. Uh, and if you just Google it, it'll pop right up. And then you click on a link, and it literally takes you to a dynamic uh, map where you can see in our own community here in Maui as well, all throughout the state of Hawaii, contaminated lands, and where that may be uh, a good starting point to where we could uh, we could maybe consider making having consensus. Yeah. Yes. And um, <laughs> what are you I'm starting to have conversations with um, the executive director of Life of the Land, mm, um, Curtis. Mr. Henry Curtis. Yeah. And he said that uh, re they don't talk, in Life of the Land, they don't talk about renewable energy. They talk about low climate impact. Mm. That renewable energy, he said, includes cutting down trees and burning them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, those, uh, mm -hmm. 
that that renewable energy is the wrong term to be using. He also, and I didn't understand this, but I can send you the email, um, Josh, um, that the uh, being 100% renewable by 2045 was a total miscalculation on the part of the governor's office. Mm-hmm. And I don't pretend to understand what that means. I just received the email yesterday. It was a miscalculation, meaning it wasn't achievable, or it was too ambitious? I don't ambitious, understand. Or? I don't understand what he said. Well, let's get so, uh, Henry Curtis but on. I just, you know, hardly anything of value is created in a hurry. Mm. And I would ask us to slow down a little bit and um, listen to the elders, listen to and listen to the people and not just rush ahead um, and cover our landscapes with solar and wind installations. Mm, mm. Yeah, I tend to, from a residential installer's perspective over the last decade, I tend to think to myself, when we were held up in installing systems year after year, month after month, you know, uh, it, it would have been really, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity to uh, democratize something, right? We have mm-hmm. this opportunity. Energy is the, you know, how, how often in our society do we have an opportunity to really make a difference in people's uh, bottom lines and save money and create a better uh, future? It would be really valuable for us to, try to give people access to solar in a more regular and easy way, then that would be a good first step, or at least- You're uh, talking about residential, re- though. Residential and, and commercial on, on and- Solar you know, on your house. Yeah, well, I mean, because why why should why were we held up for so long? And then all of a sudden it's boom, let's drop down, you know, a uh, hundred megs tomorrow, you know, that, right. that, that the utility can control, <laughs> you know? There's now, um, there's hardly any incentive anymore to to buy solar, you know, the tax credits for individuals have gone down and they've gone up for corporations. Uh, well, we're, we're still at full tax credits presently, but next Are year we? it'll, thought, it'll drop 4% was... on the federal side. And there is discussion that the state side may follow. There's always been that discussion. But, uh, yeah, they are they are reducing presently. Uh, there is a fight out there, folks. Take a look at the ITC uh, fight, the investment, uh, the federal investment tax credit. I, I mean, so from your perspective, Josh, do you see, like, in your mind, do you ask yourself, why don't we saturate houses first and buildings and then build the large-scale ones? Thank you. I, I think it happens in parallel. I think it happens in parallel. I don't think there's a, there's a, it's consecutive. Right. I think it's, it, it, first of all, I think we should bring back NEM. I think that it, the, the, the new tariffs that have been laid out, the, the net energy meeting tariff from before, we should have that because it almost feels like in order for the utility to be able to accept these large-scale solar farms, which I believe are a benefit, but um, that we should be allowed to have solar on our roofs with the original type of compensation, very clean and easy. Right. The, all of the different tariffs that have been rolled out by the utility are great that we have them, but quite frankly, they're very difficult to understand and they're very complex to navigate. They have been traditionally. They're getting easier as the technology is catching up. Uh, but yeah, I think that we should be doing uh, more uh, residential. It should be easier. It should be funded more readily and people should be able to take advantage of that and, and, and really make tr- tremendous value in their lives. Like incentivize the homeowners and the building owners versus giving the rewards to one entity that comes in to do one big project. Yeah, but then on the commercial side, utility scale side, perhaps um, as a community starting to make more decisions about where they're located, early changing the process a little bit, yeah. and then also you know trying to find ways to get, get the local money involved so those dollars aren't exported necessarily yeah. somewhere else. So th- that's my personal opinion. But uh, uh, Caroline, nuclear, yes or no? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Do you have solar on your Absolutely home? Absolutely not. Yeah. Do you, have, no. do you have solar on your house? I have solar on my home, yes. Okay. There we go. Very, Very interesting. Okay, Caroline, thank you so much for coming into the show today. Can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Thanks, we'll Caroline. continue this dialogue. Thank you to Brian Thomas of Fairwinds Wealth Management and Jason Verricart. And aloha, folks. Have a wonderful uh, Friday and weekend ahead.